And we welcome you to the Tuesday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. On this momentously important election day, we're actually going to have a bit of fun on today's morning show with two interviews from the archives. The first, from way back in 2002, is with Judith Martin, otherwise known as Miss Manners, talking about her fascinating book, Star Spangled Manners, in which Miss Manners defends American etiquette for a change. It seems appropriate as we come to the end of this bruising, hard-fought, and sometimes ill-mannered season of political campaigning. In part two, in an interview recorded back in 2003, you'll hear from Ace Collins, author of Songs Sung Red, White, and Blue, the stories behind America's best-loved patriotic songs. Here's part one. Well, words scarcely convey how excited I am to be speaking today on The Morning Show with Judith Martin, Miss Manners. If I would go to my very crowded bookshelf and pull off every book I own by Judith Martin, Miss Manners, uh, it would make quite a pile. I own every single book. And uh, and I'm delighted to have the newest one in my hands right now called Star Spangled Manners, in which Miss Manners defends American etiquette for a change. Uh, the book is published by W.W. W. Norton and Company, and we're delighted that Judith Martin can join us for a few minutes to talk about what America has contributed to the world when it comes to etiquette. Judith Martin, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Thank you. Uh, what preface the, the writing of this book. How did the idea come to you to focus on this particular facet of etiquette? Well, you know, I've been leading the attack on American manners for something like 25 years. And um, when I started, people didn't know what I was talking about. You know, etiquette, that's a thing of the past. We don't have any manners. And I thought, well, you know, you're right there. That's the problem. But eventually, it took a while, it caught on, and I started hearing everywhere um, how rude Americans are. Now, this is something one hears abroad all the time, and I resent it when I'm abroad, and I began to worry about it here. I won't say resent it, but worry. Do Americans have an inferiority complex that somehow we are just sort of naturally loudish, and um, if we knew how to behave, we would be Europeans uh, and uh, so that we're just sort of some sort of little failure at, at behaving like those perfect people who live abroad. And I've lived abroad enough myself to know that they've got human beings there, too, including rude ones. <laughs> so when you look at American manners, um, I realized, first of all, it's the major influence on manners in the world today. And second of all, that it is the noblest attempt to... Um, treat other people with dignity. We have made a concerted effort in this country, the Founding Fathers were deep into this, to develop the etiquette of egalitarianism. We haven't fully succeeded, and we certainly haven't fully succeeded in practicing it, but it's a very noble attempt, and it keeps going on, and it's not something that should be dismissed as um, a uh, inept uh, imitation of European manners. Hmm. You call it at one point the basic American commitment to the etiquette of equality. 
Uh, given that, you, you do mention the fact that, that uh, the way etiquette unfolds and develops and ebbs and flows is what you call at one point a regular ricocheting from predictability to creativity and back from chaos to constriction. Uh, there is sort of a tide to the way etiquette uh, yes. sort, sort of grows, and, and America has certainly not been uh, immune to that. No, uh, we are coming, this is why it's such an interesting period right now, we are coming out of the uh, idea in the second half of the 20th century that there was something wrong about etiquette itself. It's artificial, which of course it is, it's a civilizing influence over nature, um, and that we should not practice it. Um, we should not teach it to our children. And that went on for decades to the point where um, we developed a couple of generations of people who had been taught just to express themselves and not worry about what other people think of them. And life became so abrasive that we reached that turning point. Now, typically, uh, the repeated cycles are that that's what happens because this is not the first time that people have come up with the idea that uh, natural behavior is better than civilized behavior. Uh, I think Mr. Rousseau came up with that some time ago, and others have. Um, but the reaction is usually to bring develop manners, but then people go overboard with that, and the manners get so complicated and so stilted that there's a reaction against them. So I keep trying to stop this pendulum and say, let us go there in the middle where we have manners that are useful and workable and so on, but not oppressive. I appreciate so much the way you talk about the, the principle behind etiquette and the, the important function which it serves. One of the things you mentioned is that if a nation did not have etiquette at all, then most likely it would seek out what you call the heavy hand of the law to, uh, to govern trivial transgressions. That's not, that's not the arena of the law. That belongs in, in the purview of etiquette. Exactly so, and people who want to get rid of etiquette do so in the name of freedom. And when they bring the law in, they have less freedom. Hmm. Because uh, if you're rude, I can refuse to associate with you, but I can't put you in jail, um, which would certainly compromise your freedom a lot more. Um, we've had an interesting demonstration of this phenomena in the world of cyberspace, which, as you recall, originally people said this is going to be absolutely free and open, no rules. And then uh, people started with intolerable behavior. Uh, pornography, to those who did not want to receive it. Spam, which is a major problem for all of us. Um, and they are trying to get the law to regulate it. But it is very difficult for the law to regulate uh, cyberspace. One of the things you say about etiquette is that it defines a community by providing the language of rituals and symbols with which members identify their commonality while busily sizing up one another individually. Uh, that was a concept I hadn't really thought of before, the idea that, uh, that etiquette can provide both a sense of commonality and individuality. I mean, that it, right in and of itself is sort of a miracle, isn't it? Yes. Um, if you, when you have a general standard, these, the, the deviations that people wish to make from it for 
any kind of individualistic reasons, stand out. When you have total uh, chaos with no general standard, you don't know what anything means. But we all read clothing symbolically. People deny it, and they say that, oh, they're just wearing what's comfortable or to express themselves, but we read it symbolically. And if I showed up in um, cut-off jeans at your wedding, you would read that as being disrespectful, and you would be correct. Um, or if I showed up at an evening gown on your picnic, you would read it as being probably insanity on my part, and you'd be correct. Um, but I, at the same time we're denying all this symbolism, uh, we're practicing it. We are speaking with Judith Martin, author of a wonderful new book called Star-Spangled Manners, in which Miss Manners defends American etiquette for a change. Uh, one of the things you say about uh, American etiquette is the fact that it is founded on egalitarianism. But one of the things you say then, then, is the etiquette of egalitarianism is always in flux because it responds to the will of the people. I suppose yeah. that's one of the things that, that makes it then, by its very nature, not quite so uh, fixed in stone as maybe other systems of etiquette might be. It's not at all fixed in stone, because when we started with all men are created equal, first of all, it was men and not women, and it wasn't all men, it wasn't slaves, it wasn't, um, uh, often it wasn't people who didn't own property, um, were not equal for, uh, in legal terms. Um, so we have been working on this and expanding it and improving on it um, since the birth of the country. And I hope we'll continue to do so. As these young Americans were forging this uh, system of etiquette for a new nation, in what most significant ways were they discarding other systems and ideals uh, in, in favor of this new idea of etiquette for all? Well, they wanted to do away with ostentation because they felt that ostentation reinforced uh, the economic differences. Uh, they certainly did away with the class system. We did away with uh, titles and um, her any hereditary signs of inequality. Um, those, those were the obvious things, and those were the things that were put into effect immediately. But then the question arose of, okay, if everybody's equal, what about the inequalities of achievement? of age, of rank. And so then it gets a little more dicey to deal with. But the Founding Fathers did an amazing job of overthrowing concepts that people thought were natural, um, that some people are inferior and other people are superior. They didn't do it completely, as we well know. But um, it was revolutionary itself to say that uh, we're born equal, or that enough of the people they defined as being equal were born equal. Hmm. You tell us about the uh, important insights brought to all this by three of our founding fathers in particular, uh, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Benjamin Franklin. You mentioned the fact that uh, each of these three gentlemen uh, was very interested in etiquette uh, before they became uh, members of the revolutionary movement in uh, this young new new country, and they brought uh, each of them uh, sort of uh, their own perspective on what was most important in assembling a new system of etiquette. Yes, uh, Thomas Jefferson's uh, book on um, a parliamentary etiquette is still 
given out to congressmen. He almost invented the paperback. He wanted it printed small so they could put it in their pockets. And as far as we can tell now, they put it in their pockets and they never take it out. <laughs> but um, they were all, they realized they had the task of developing a new etiquette, which is a extraordinary idea. People grow up thinking, well, this whatever they grew up with is natural behavior. And the idea that you can monkey around with it and uh, develop something better um, is, is a strange, strange idea to which um, we are very grateful they all subscribed. They did, uh, Washington and Jefferson in particular, went off in a little bit too much in opposite directions. Um, George Washington was thought to be a little on the arrogant side. Thomas Jefferson was thought to be a little on the overly, artificially humble side. And Franklin struck this wonderful um, um, medium, happy medium, hmm. uh, where um, it charmed the world, not just America, but you know, extremely popular in Paris when, uh, when he was our minister there. Uh, but all of them were dealing with how do you have dignity without ostentation? How do you have equality and yet have respect? And uh, these are questions we still need to work on. Hmm. Of course, uh, it may not be exactly a central question in terms of its pertinence to us today, but it is fascinating to read in your book about how uh, the Founding Fathers grappled with the question of how one was to address the President of the United States. Uh, what is most significant to us in 2003 about those discussions and arguments which occurred back in the uh, uh, 18th century? Well, to this day, we have a major effect on world uh, diplomacy, stripping it of its more um, elaborate rituals and, uh, and such. Um, George Washington thought it would be really kind of cute to be addressed as his high and mightiness. And um, he was laughed out of that um, because we wanted to get to that Republican simplicity, which, in fact, um, is taking over the world. That particular issue, why is it relevant to us today? Well, we call our president Mr. President. We don't use highness, royalty, um, mightiness, all of those things. And yet we use the term Mr. Now, uh, and I hope someday, Madam, uh, the um, honorifics like that have been dropped in everyday life. People refer to one another either by first name or even more or less formally by last names unadorned with honorifics. When you get a letter today, it probably just has your name on it and no honorific. If you think about it, the solution of Mr. President has this double thing. It's simple, and yet there is that respectful term in there. Why are we doing away with the simple terms of respect in everyday life? Hmm. You mentioned in the discussion about the whole concept of equality and how it relates to etiquette that, in fact, we are not all equal in every way. And this, I don't mean by our, our human intrinsic worth, but just in terms of, of, of our uniqueness, each as individuals. We, we are not all the same. We are not identically equal in that way. And you pose the question, should we ignore that fact and act as we were? You go on to say, politeness cannot survive without ignoring facts. 
and you say that that's something we're not very good at anymore, ignoring those uh, those differences between us, which uh, sometimes impress us and sometimes irritate us. Well, in some to some extent, you do need to recognize them. Uh, there is a dignity and respect to which we are all entitled as human beings because we are human beings. Um, at the same time, uh, the and we've done away with. Um, uh, many of the precedent systems that used to exist. But at the same time, age makes a difference. Um, showing, giving precedence to age is the fairest uh, possible distribution of, uh, of this that there is, because with any luck, we all live to grow older. Uh, we want to give recognition to achievement. Um, there is a special respect for people who have made contributions to the world, and that is a legitimate thing. Um, we give recognition to rank uh, the, in, in, the, in the business world. Um, the, right now, we have a pretense that everybody who works together are just friends, and they all treat one another like, and yet there are people there who can fire other people or give other people raises. They're not equal. Those inequalities are should be recognized, but they should not touch upon the basic dignity that we have as human beings. Hmm. And in a world that is so business-oriented and people feel that everything has to do, for instance, with their jobs and they have no dignity if, um, if their job is not, uh, uh, does not command it, they're wrong. They have the dignity of being a human being. So you're... Um, uh, a, a person who um, uh, does not, you don't have to disguise the fact that you are where you are in the job rank because that's only part of your life. Hmm. One last question. You point out something which I think is so thought-provoking in saying that, first of all, we should not jump to the conclusion that uh, our founding fathers and the citizens of our young nation were exceptionally well-behaved. And you say that, uh, when we look at the uh, the new egalitarian e- etiquette which they uh, created for the, for this new country, that that tells us something about uh, probably the way in which many people drove each other crazy. We can look at etiquette, at uh, at at the w- way we want people to to live, and it tells us something about the way, in fact, they probably lived. You know, that's how I got into an interest in etiquette in the first place, that I, my uh, uh, parents, who were amateur historians, explained to me, if you want to know about a society, whatever they're being told not to do, that's what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Judith Martin's book is Star-Spangled Manners, in which Miss Manners defends American etiquette for a change. Published by W.W. W. Norton and Company. Again, this interview was recorded and initially broadcast back in 2002.